the woods in the winter are just, you know, a really special experience. And it's incredibly quiet when the snow's deep. And there's some incredible places in Vermont to go explore. And there's all sorts of terrain that you can explore when there's several feet of snow on the ground that is just really challenging to access any other time of year. That's always been one of my favorite parts about backcountry skiing is that it just opens up the woods in an incredible way. Welcome to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Erica Housekeeper, and I'm here talking with Matt Williams, Executive Director of the Catamount Trail Association. The Catamount Trail is a winter recreation trail that runs the entire length of Vermont. Used for backcountry skiing and snowshoeing, the trail is the brainchild of Steve Bushy, Ben Rose, and Paul Jarris, who in the 1980s worked to develop a winter ski route in Vermont that extends from the Massachusetts border to Quebec. Matt Williams, who grew up in Sharon, Vermont, returned to his home state in 2018 to lead the Catamount Trail Association. He talks to me about what makes the Catamount Trail special and offers advice for people looking to explore backcountry skiing for the first time. So Matt Williams, director of the Catamount Trail Association, thanks so much for being here with me today. You joined the Catamount Trail Association back in 2018. So let's talk about the Catamount Trail, you know, its history, the length of the trail and and what it's used for. Well, first, thanks for having me. It's great to be on and great to be doing this. Yeah, the Catamount Trail has been around for quite a long time. It's the longest backcountry ski trail in North America, and it runs the length of Vermont from Massachusetts to Canada, from border to border. And the goal is really to link up towns, villages, country inns, Nordic ski centers into a contiguous backcountry ski trail. You know, and it really started in the spirit of backyard, backdoor adventure in the minds of of a few young guys in the 80s who were sort of looking around, looking for animating adventure. And they, Steve Bushy and and a few others, put it together. Steve was a graduate student at UVM and uh, a mapper and a GIS wizard. And (laughs) even though this was the days before GIS, so they, you know, they... He spent a year with his master's thesis putting this route together. And, you know, it's back in the days of paper maps and digging through, you know, files and town records and and finding old logging roads. But they they put a route together and they skied it in the winter of 84. And they got a bunch of sponsors and inns and ski centers along the way to help promote it. And in the following year, they started the work to make – the route that they'd skied into an actual marked marked trail so that others could share in that experience. And it's grown from there. It took 25 years or so to actually take that route that they'd skied and complete it as an official signed trail with permission, but it's a contiguous route at this point and is a platform for all sorts of skiing adventures and snowshoeing and, and all sorts of things. So it gets used in all sorts of ways and sort of love the variety of ways in which people use it as a conduit for cool adventures. Yeah, definitely. I, in fact, this past weekend, I was out hiking with my family over the weekend. We were on the Honey Hollow Trail in the Huntington area, and of course, part of the Catamount Trail. I saw signs everywhere for it, which was great. And, you know, it was steep. It was, we 
parked off of, uh, I think, Duxbury Road and kind of went in that way. And it was a nice climb. And then it was so pretty up through there. It was it was really nice. And it was pretty kid-friendly. I My daughter was, she's nine, and she was with us. And I saw and some other kids up there with their families, which was really nice. You know, and in thinking about the Catamount Trail, like a lot of people have heard of the Long Trail, which was established, I think, back in 1910 or so. And that follows the spine of the Green Mountains from the Massachusetts border to the Canadian border. So I don't know if people ever get those trails mixed up, the Long Trail or the Catamount Trail, but I would love to just hear you talk about maybe what makes the Catamount Trail different from the Long Trail or even other networks in Vermont and beyond, like kind of what makes it special? Yeah, thanks. I think it is quite a bit different than the Long Trail, although they are both end-to-end trails and we often sort of, (laughs) for simplicity's sake, refer to the Catamount Trail as, as sort of, you know, skier's version of the Long Trail. But I I do think they're both unique and special and have some differences. And as I said, one of the things that was a goal of the Catamount Trail from the very beginning was to connect these different sort of anchor points, whether they were Nordic ski centers, whether they were inns, towns, villages. The goal was really to not to create a sort of true backcountry experience the way the Long Trail is, where it really is along the spine of the green. There's a significant forest buffer on either side of you for most of the trail, and it's you really are in the woods the whole time. The Catamount Trail weaves through a huge variety of terrain and is sort of a way to connect point A to point B in a different way. And to me, that has always been one of the things that's most exciting about it as a resource. I think one of the other pretty cool things about it is that it really does reflect the variety of terrain in Vermont. So, you know, you met mentioned being in in Honey Hollow, which is, you know, on the shoulder of Camel's Hump. And so, you know, that section of the trail in the central greens, you know, goes up and over the Huntington Gap on the south side of Camel's Hump, which is a a huge, huge climb, really remote, comes down through Camel's Hump and then goes through the Bolton backcountry, another pretty remote section, really mountainous. There's fairly challenging skiing and a lot of great backcountry skiing off of those sections. But then you have areas in in northern Vermont where it's much flatter, it's much more open. You're going through a lot of agricultural land and big farm fields, and you have these huge vistas. There's areas in southern Vermont that are down along the Deerfield River, and hydroelectric dams run through there. So there's these big reservoirs, Harriman Reservoir, Somerset Reservoir, and you're along water for like 30 miles. And so it's a totally different feel there. And I could go on and on. And I think that's really cool. I always am amazed at the variety of that that exists in Vermont. You know, you go to different parts of the state and they just feel really unique. And because the trail weaves, it's quite a bit longer than the long trail. Actually, it's, it's almost 320 miles. It's significantly longer than the long trail. And so that extra mileage, you know, allows you to weave in and out of some of those different parts of the state. And I think that's really cool. That is really cool. Definitely. And it's nice too how the trail kind of reflects Vermont. Like, you know, you can go to all these different parts. For a small state, there's a lot of, you know, variety and in, in different areas of the state that are different from one another. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then uses too. You know, I think the Long Trail is a pretty use-specific trail. It's, you know, it's built for hiking. And right. we co-locate in a couple of very short stretches with it, but it pretty much just gets used for hiking. And the Catamount Trail, you know, most of it is winter only. Our permissions are typically just for the winter, but there are some sections that get significant year-round use and where that's permissible and and we're working more to promote those. And 
and sort of think about that side of things. And some sections are very backcountry feeling and really narrow and remote, and some of them are wider and get seasonal use in different ways. And so, you know, local communities have, have sort of taken on the trail in different ways and done different things with it, too, which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah, definitely. Now, you grew up in Sharon, Vermont. Did you grow up on a sheep farm? Is that right? Did I read that somewhere? <laughs> I did. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know if hobby farm is the right is the right yeah. term, but yeah, we had about twenty ewes and had lambs every spring and sold lamb to sort of family and friends. But it was a very small farm. My mom grew up on a commercial dairy operation, so a little different than that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fun. That's awesome. And you spent a lot of time outdoors growing up in Vermont. You know, you were skiing and sledding and mountain biking and hiking. I'm sure, and then. Later on, as an adult, you were living and working outside of Vermont for a little while. What made you decide to return to Vermont and run the Catamount Trail Association? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I, my now wife and I did leave for a bit. She grew up in Montpelier, and, and I grew up in the Upper Valley. And I left the state for college, and I came back, and I really thought I was back for good. I've, I've always wanted to live in Vermont. It's always just felt like home for me. Whenever I've traveled, I've always I've never found a place that I'd, I'd rather be. So I, I really, after college, thought I was here, and I got pulled away to Asheville, North Carolina, for a job experience that I was I was really excited about at my collegiate alma mater, running a, a cycling program, and then ended up running in the athletic department down there at Warren Wilson College for a year, too. But even when we moved down, we really were always planning on coming back to Vermont and it just was a matter of sort of waiting for the right time and looking for the right opportunity. We actually owned some land in Moortown that we I'd come up in the I had summers off, so I'd come up in the summer and, and work on the land a little bit and do some clearing or whatever else and camp out. And when the DTA job opened up, it was sort of the right timing anyway. And, you know, I've always been interested and really passionate about the power that the outdoors and outdoor recreation has for bringing people together, for helping to foster and, and facilitate relationships, and for um, certainly in the collegiate context and sort of teaching real lessons. So I've looked for ways to work in that space over the course of my life. And, you know, I think those are certainly values that are central to the, the Catamount Trail and the history and mission of the organization. And so it, it felt like a way to do more of that work at a larger scale. And I've been really grateful to be here since 2018. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you. Definitely. It's a great organization. And as you said earlier, the Catamount Trail is primarily a lot of the permissions are for winter use. And speaking of winter, it's certainly going to be different this year with COVID. I mean, for anyone who's used to skiing at resorts, skiing and riding will be kind of under a new set of rules. And it seems like a lot of people I've talked to over the last few months, they're like looking at different options. You know, they might just do more snowshoeing or some people are going to maybe try some Nordic skiing. And But also people have talked about backcountry more and more, and it looks like that will be kind of in high demand this winter. So I don't know. I would just love to get a sense of what the backcountry scene is like in Vermont during like a typical year and then maybe what you expect it will look like this season. Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it's sort of funny in some ways to think about a, a typical year because I, I feel like the definition of a typical year has, has just changed so dramatically for backcountry skiing in the last 10 and particularly five years, I think. You know, even 
sort of in my lifetime as a backcountry skier, the, the sport has changed and evolved a lot. The equipment has changed and evolved a lot. And we've, for the last number of years, seen use really skyrocket and grow exponentially in the backcountry. So in some ways, I think the anticipated surge of use this year is, is sort of a, a continuation of an existing trend, although I, I think it has the potential to be a, a pretty significant jump even over the sort of growth we've been seeing. But, you know, at the sport, the parallel isn't perfect, but I think there are some parallels to the, the way mountain biking has grown and evolved as a sport over the last couple of decades, you know, going from a, a pretty niche sport that utilized a lot of existing infrastructure and was being pursued by a pretty small group of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of people. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. And mountain bikes got better and better. The sport grew. You get more and more people out there and sort of the ensuing demand for sort of specific infrastructure and trails for mountain biking and some user conflicts in places and all those sorts of things. And, you know, you've seen a real growth in mountain bike trail building, but also just the sort of associated infrastructure. And Jimba has done a fantastic job of growing their chapters and mm. engaging in advocacy and all those sorts of things. You know, backcountry skiing is smaller than that, but it's in some ways seen a similar evolution you know, as you get more people in the backcountry, you just, you know, the impacts grow and it takes more work and organization to manage that. And, you know, I think the CTA has, has worked really hard in the last five years to sort of evolve as an organization to support that. Because you guys have chapters. We have chapters now and we, we do a lot of work with the state of Vermont and the Green Mountain National Forest and other big land managers and partners sort of figuring out how can we facilitate this use? How can we expand, manage backcountry skiing? How can we do that in a way that's, you know, ecologically sustainable and responsible and, you know, as safe as possible for skiers and as fun as possible for skiers? You know, how do we how do we balance all those things? And I, I think we've made a lot of progress there, which has been exciting in its own right and I think will help support the growth of, of skiing down the line. That being said, like, <laughs> we've seen this coming this winter, you know, specifically the you know, we've watched summer trail use skyrocket and all those things, but you can't really do much in terms of infrastructure, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on, on, on a six-month timeline. So we sort of have what we have in terms of places to go ski and, and infrastructure for the winter. So I've been hearing all the same things that you have. I think a lot of people are, are interested in it. A lot of people are nervous about going to ski areas, standing in line for lifts having to deal with base lodges and cramped, even with social distancing measures, there's just a lot of nervousness. And we've seen in the last week that restrictions in Vermont have have been upped pretty significantly in the last week, even though it seems like there aren't a lot of business restrictions at the moment. But so we're, we're monitoring all that pretty carefully. And we're basically just working with other stakeholders and our chapters and trying to get out as much good information as we can for people because we do think it will be busy and and we do think that a lot of people will be out in the backcountry who don't have a lot of experience and that's that's great in a lot of ways but we want people to be safe and we want people to have fun and so we're trying to get information out there that's covid specific but also information about you know layering and what equipment you need and you know, what sort of safety precautions do you need to take so that you don't end up having to call a search and rescue team to come find you? And, you know, and what can you do to just have more fun out there? So 
we're looking at online resources and all sorts of other stuff to try to get that the, the word out on that, those things. That's good. That's great. And can you talk about, you know, give us um, an idea of maybe some good beginner tips if there's somebody who wants to stay away from ski areas this winter or who maybe isn't a skier but was like, hey, I really want to get out. I'm, I don't want to be cooped up this winter. I want to try backcountry skiing. What would you say are, you know, a, a couple of good beginner tips that you would give someone? Yeah, great question. And first of all, I would say, like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing sport. It's, the woods in the winter are just, you know, a really special experience. And it's incredibly quiet when the snow's deep. And there's some incredible places in Vermont to go explore. And there's all sorts of terrain that you can explore when there's several feet of snow on the ground that is just really challenging to access any other time of year. That's always been one of my favorite parts about backcountry skiing is that it just opens up the woods in an incredible way because all these blowdowns and rocky areas and wet areas are just frozen over and covered. And, you know, especially at higher terrain, you can just cruise right through in a lot of places, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, and it's pretty special. So, you know, I, I think our website, not to, not to plug no, that's the okay. CPA, but our, our website, catamounttrail.org, is a great resource. We've been adding a lot of beginner tips to the website this fall in, in anticipation of this, and we're sort of working to highlight sections of the Catamount Trail that are a great place to go. You know, I, I think if you're really new to backcountry skiing, you know, a lot of towns and town forests and city parks have great terrain to check out that's pretty mellow and well-maintained and, and easy to access and mapped. Another great place are, you know, Nordic Touring Centers. You can often rent gear if you don't have it, and they you know, the, the Catamount Trail itself goes through a lot of Nordic Touring Centers, so you can sort of start on groomed terrain and then branch off into some ungroomed trails if you want to, whether it's on the Catamount Trail or, or some touring centers have their own kind of ungroomed terrain as well that you can explore. Right. So those are great places to check out if you're more sort of focused on hiking up and getting turns and you have an AT, you know, Alpine Touring or, or Backcountry Telemark setup the managed zones that are managed by CTA chapters are also great places to check out because it's, it's just a little bit more of a facilitated experience. You can follow signs to the top and you know, the lines are cleaned up and skiable. So I know I'm talking for a while here, but another thing that we're trying to do this winter and, and it's a little bit (laughs) up in the air still because we don't know what COVID restrictions are going to look like, but the CTA hosts a huge variety of, facilitated tours every winter. We typically offer 50 to 80 days worth of guided tours. They're almost all free. And we do have quite a few listed on our website this year, and a lot of them are geared towards beginner skiers or new backcountry skiers. So that's a really great way to get out on the trail or in a backcountry zone with some people that know the area who can, you know, show you a a great loop or a great place to ski and and you know you're going to have a good experience in that way. They can help with questions about your equipment or whatever else. And so we're we're really hopeful that we'll be able to run those this winter. We're working pretty closely with the state to try to ensure that we can, but obviously it's ultimately out of our hands. Sure, of course. And speaking of equipment, on some of these trails, like if you're a beginner and you're starting out, like is kind of Nordic, classic Nordic gear good enough, or do you have to get like the the other kind, that split board, or what do you call them? Yeah, it just depends on what you want to ski. It, most people on the Catamount Trail are on, you know, waxless 
cross-country skis, you know, various setups. And we actually are about to do a series of another great resource. We're about to do a series of webinars about gear for people that will be hosted on our YouTube page and you can watch them live or they'll be archived. And so we're going to have one that's focused on split boarding, which is people who use snowboards that actually come apart so you can hike up a, a mountain kind of like you're on skis and then put it all back together as a snowboard and come back down. We'll have one that's focused on alpine touring and telemark equipment. So that's people who are really, you know, focused on getting out into terrain that's a little bit steeper and focused on finding, you know, fun descents to ski in the woods. And then we'll have a third webinar that's really focused on that more touring side of things. So, you know, waxless, predominantly waxless cross-country skis, but more like kick and glide. So if you're into Nordic skiing, cross-country skiing, and you just want to sort of do that in a more backcountry setting, the bulk of the Catamount Trail is focused on that type of skiing, and there's lots of great places to check out on the trail. But then, you know, often, as I mentioned before, you know, town forests and parks have great terrain. I mean, I, I lived in Montpelier for a little while, and like Hubbard Park, which is the in-town park in Montpelier, right, before, right. right, right behind the state house, is like awesome skiing. I know that that type of resource exists all across the state and is a really cool place to, you know, sort of check out your back door. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, too, because I talked to someone last year. I, I wrote a story on um, Happy Vermont, my site about Dutch Hill down in southern Vermont, how it used to be like this, you know, it was a ski area that had closed. And then now it's this great like backcountry area. And I was talking to somebody about that place and someone said, you know, I wasn't a great alpine skier, but I feel like I'm a really good backcountry skier. Like backcountry sometimes can almost sound like extreme, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, that's, that sounds scary, but it's not, it doesn't have to be that way at all. Right. I mean, it can be whatever you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be this sort of extreme, like hardcore sport, even though sometimes it sounds that way. Right. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's like, you know, I think it's a really, it's everything from like skiing a loop in the field behind your house or down the street from you, or like going up a, a huge mountain and skiing something back down. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And there's often, you know, the, the thing that gets the most media play and attention are the, you know, people jumping off of cliffs and, and skiing, <laughs> you know, really extreme lines or, or in really deep powder, you know, and not that that stuff's not fun, but there is a huge, huge range and, of terrain out there. And, and it is really easy to sort of find the niche that you find to be most fun. And that's what it's all about, right? It's just like getting outside in the winter, exploring, having fun and, and sort of experiencing the landscape in a different way. And there's sort of infinite ways to do that. And our goal as the CPA is to really sort of support that full range of backcountry skiing. Because again, to us, it's, it's more about being out in the woods and what that does for all of us on sort of a personal level and for, you know, the friendships that are forged and, and the community that's forged in that. And that to me is the really powerful and, and fun part about it all. And mm. the turns are really fun too. And skiing is, is one of my favorite things to do, but it's the relationships that are built and everything else that is what, what we all remember. And, and so there's lots of ways to do it. And they're all fun, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's true. Like what you said, like being out in the woods in the winter, there's really nothing like it. And there's, I, I find it, even if I'm just like 
doing a winter hike or something like there's something very healing about it. And it makes you feel a, a way that is really hard to forget. Like you just feel really good doing it. So for like, you know, your own like mental health or your own like relaxation or way to, you know, disconnect or recharge, it just, it's a great activity to do. And, and like you said, it doesn't have to be like skiing off cliffs, you know, it can be really what you want it to be. Yeah outside. So. It's so true. It's so true. And I, I, I do think it can be intimidating because it's cold and, you know, there's specific equipment and, you know, all those other things. There's sort of more pieces of the puzzle than there are, you know, if you're just going for a hike on a 70 degree day right. in the summer. Sure. So we really see it as a big part of our role to help demystify some of it and break it down and make it easier for people to feel comfortable going out and experiencing you know, skiing in the winter. And so, you know, like I said, we're, we're sort of doing everything we can to get resources out there and people are always welcome to, you know, shoot us an email or give us a call too. We're happy to talk to folks and, and try to help, help get them out because it is, it is a really powerful experience. And I think we're all going to need, <laughs> yeah. need some help staying sane this same winter. Same. So. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a good way to do it. What's a way people can learn more about exploring the Catamount Trail? Go to your website. Is that a good thing to do? Just go there and, and see what what's going on and what, you know, webinars are happening or if tours are happening. You guys update that pretty regularly? Yeah, that's an easy first stop. And there are links there to, to tours and to resources. People can also sign up for our e-newsletter, which goes out on Mondays. And we link in that e-newsletter a lot to, like, other resources, you know, whenever we're sort of aware of, like, other groups that are doing webinars or videos or other sort of helpful things to pass along, we, we include those in that, that e-newsletter. So if people are interested, they can sign up for that and sign up for a tour and, and be in touch. Yeah. Good, good. And last question for you, Matt, what would you say is your favorite thing about backcountry skiing? <laughs> There's maybe too many um, to name, it, but... Yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite, but I, I and I kind of mentioned it already, but... It, to me, it's just, it's always been such an amazing way to explore the, the Vermont landscape. And it, it just, as I said, it, it opens up possibilities that just aren't there at any other time of year. And I've always loved that ability to just like get on skis and, and go out into the woods. And sometimes you need a trail, but oftentimes you can just go explore. And that has always just been you know such a joy for me. I've done lots of different types of skiing. I was a Nordic ski racer for a while and I been a backcountry skier and our barn is still filled with every type of <laughs> ski imaginable and they're all fun but I, I think it, at its core it's really it just facilitates a, an amazing type of adventure and and when I think about like the really Im important friendships in my life so many of them are forged in that too so it's always meant a lot to me it, it's a way to connect with the landscape that I think is really unique and so that's probably my, when it comes right down to it, my favorite part. Yeah, no, that sounds really nice. And I'm looking forward to, I've been a, an alpine skier for a long time, but I've been toying with the idea of backcountry, but I'm so glad we talked because part of me was like, oh, I don't know, this is maybe, you know, too much for me, or maybe I'm not athletic enough, but I'm really glad to hear you say these things just about how it doesn't have to be this, you know, extreme thing and to encourage beginners, because I would certainly be a beginner out there, but I, I really want to do it. So I'm going to be nice. Yeah. yeah. On your I website. Really, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some specific skills for sure, but you know, if people are active and they, you know, go for hikes or they go for walks or whatever else, like 
it's totally doable. You know, you can also snowshoe on the Catamount Trail, which is, you know, sort of another great mm-hmm. way to get out there for people too. And I think good to highlight, but you can start on, on terrain that's comfortable and build from there, you know? And I think at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong way to do it. And it's all really fun in my view. So, you know, sort of start where it's comfortable and find some people to, I think it's always great if you can find people sort of in your yeah. local network who have done it a little bit and can, can share some tips too, but I can't encourage people enough to just give it a try, you know? That's great. And probably the starting, like the thinking about it is probably the hardest part. Like once you do it, you're like, oh, what was I waiting around? What was, what took me so long? This is so much fun. So that's great. So Matt, thank you so much for being here and and chatting with me today. And I hope we have a a snowy and safe winter. Me too. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's really, really fun to get to chat about this stuff. And thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. You can learn more about the Catamount Trail by visiting catamounttrail.org. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. You can also find more information on my website at happyvermont.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon. Thank you.